scriptures is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading the King James Version. <coughs> comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, said your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower faded, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arm, and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. The word of the Lord for his people. Thanks be to God.
those Israelites wander again. There's John the Baptist, most famous for eating locusts and honey in the wilderness. And there's Jesus. And the list goes on, and there's others. But why wilderness, oh God? At Free For All, the time of the week where we talk about the upcoming scripture passage, Philip talked about being not far from here, that there was a rotary, or as they say in England, a roundabout. And they kept going round and round and seemed awfully similar to a metaphor of our own lives. After all, don't we keep going round and round, seeing the same landmarks time and time again? And we seem never to be able to step or jump off that merry-go-round, right? Remember that as a kid? It seemed a lot more perilous to jump off. A lot easier just to stay on. At first, this might feel like a, a bleak outlook. What a great sermon for Advent. Aren't we close to Christmas anyway? Uh, let's take off the tinsel and light and those Christmas bells <laughs> that have been playing since November. And let's look around and take a deep, dark look. This is something I wrote about wilderness and being a wilderness wanderer. Maybe you can relate. The sky is ashy white. But instead of letting out snow, it only holds in sorrow. Barren trees emptied of life leaves little to the imagination. These silhouettes sleep and sigh as signs that beg of life to return. The question has always been, do I go out in this? Do I brace myself for the fierceness of fire or ice? Or what I might find. Fear not. Feels shallower than a puddle of water dispersed by child's play. But here's the truth. I can't stay in here forever. I've locked my love and life from the inside out. I must move on. I must take one step out. Maybe the ashy white looks different. Tastes different, smells different on the outside. And just maybe, maybe, away in the wilderness will be found. I say all that to validate those who feel that they are in a wilderness. For any of you in the depressive cycle, or maybe you find yourself in a season of that, doesn't mean that you're always depressed. But for those of you who find the holidays maybe a little bit darker than the culture. For so many, they are told that they just need to snap out of it or use positive thinking or trust God more. Doesn't that help? Words of comfort fall on deaf ears or peace. For those skeptical of quick fixes, 
and easy answers. This place of depression or exile, homelessness, feels real to them. So if you tell them to go to some other terrain, it feels foreign and unnatural. That's why this text in particular needs to be put in context. Unfortunately, we just hear the majesty of Handel's Messiah bolting, bursting, belting out in a tenor voice, Comfort, O oh comfort, my people, says your God. Do you not hear that? And yet, we've got to go back. This is beginning in 2nd Isaiah, what scholars call 2nd Isaiah, but up through chapters 1 through 39, God has been doling out some pretty harsh judgments. And without the judgment, this comfort just isn't as powerful. These people of God, these Israelites, were told that they were a promised people. A people that would have many generations. And now they've seen the obliteration of their city, and their temple, their priests. Ritual observances are gone. Cultic practice, it's all completely gone. Most people, as you probably know, you've heard me preach about this exile, that in the year 587 BCE, under King Nebuchadnezzar, the people of God, most of them, were exiled into Babylon. They were now the outcasts, the exile, the abandoned ones. All hopes of being God's people, those promises, sounded really empty, really shallow. No more easy answers or quick fixes. And here's what I love about this text. That at the essence of its message, it says, no matter how far from home we may feel, God will make a way. In fact, the verb tense shifts. As one scholar says, the future tense is the hope of our God. The tense shifts. And this is why the prophet is able to declare comfort for the people. God is making a way back to the promised land, the place of milk and honey. But here's the deal. Here's the catch. It takes place in the wilderness. In fact, in this land, as they would have to have traveled up through to Judah, it would have been through the Syrian desert. And you know, God is not a Star Trek fan, apparently. He doesn't favor the beam, beam them up out of exile strategy, which I would prefer. Just saying. No. The promise says, if you look at the text carefully, and several, Kathleen and others, made this note at Free For All, the text says, in the wilderness, a way will be made. That's my paraphrase. The cry will come out of the wilderness. I will bring you out of the wilderness, this is God speaking, and then show you the way. Here's the difference. There's one type of people that would love 
for us to just be taken off of the earth and ransomed into heaven and meet this God. And it'd be all glory, right? And then, there's those of us who believe that even in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of pain, that that is when God comes down to earth. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the incarnation promise? The blessing? This is why I can't get into the rapture theory. To lay my cards (laughs) quite open. That God would take us and protect us while everybody else is languishing and squalor and evil. That's really protected and privileged. But the incarnation at its very core says we don't have a God that beams us up or God up, but comes down and in. There's a huge difference between being in the wilderness and a way being made versus taken out of the wilderness and shown the way. So the comfort, you're sitting there saying, I thought this had something to do with comfort, peace. The comfort is actually found not in actually taking you out of the situation. In fact, for all of us who thought this was so wonderful, glorious, and sung in such a great tenor, we must have missed that part of being told that we're all like grass, and we're about to die, we're going to fade like the flower. We're no more permanent than a piece of grass, it says. And of course the prophet says, what shall I cry? How can I be a prophet to a people that are like grass? How's that for a lesson in fragility and mortality? So the comfort apparently is not in that we'll be swooped up to a high place and made immortal. The comfort is that we are part of the process in making a way in the wilderness. For what purpose, you may ask? Here, verse 5, the culmination of these introductory verses. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then, then, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Or as the Jewish Publication Society renders that verse, the presence of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh will see it together. All flesh! We're in this together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So our call, as this verse says, is that in the wilderness, we're called to get busy making a highway. And we know a little something about construction around here, right? It's perfect. Well, how do we make a highway for God? I mean, if it takes years of people's taxes to make infrastructure of any work, how the heck can I make a highway when all I have is my own tax self? Apparently, when making I-40 from Asheville to Knoxville... The highway approach was not making a level plane. It was circuitous and, if anything, dangerous. Any of you driven that for the gorge? They chose the beautiful path, not 
easiest. There's a lot of history to that. But I think that has a great application to our own lives. When we co-create a highway for God in our life, it's not usually straight or linear or hazardous free. We begin with a lot of construction zones, falling rock signs, and runaway zones for our junk in our trunk truck selves. How the heck are we to make a straight path when we are heavy with our own baggage? A highway no less that God can travel on? So here it begins, in the journey of Advent, which if you read one thing I wrote, it says, is called a little Lent, which a lot of us sort of resist. You know, the culture clamors for carols and lights and gifts and eggnog. Give me some eggnog, but wait. Not yet, it says. In this time of Advent, it's actually a season of preparation. Where we first start by confessing the places in ourselves that we hold on to and don't let God touch. we got to start there. Because let me tell you, the comfort, the shalom that comes, will only be that deep shalom if we start here. Anything else leaves us with the after-post-Christmas blues. It has to begin where we are honest about where we are in the wilderness. Hey, man, just admitting we're in the wilderness, as someone said at Free For All. We need to confess what we've done, as the Anglican ritual says, and what we've left undone. Confession clears the debris. And apparently facelifts or valley lifts are necessary as well as dynamiting mountains to be made low. Deconstruction always occurs before the reconstruction, which is why we're in the wilderness in the first place. Something we were doing wasn't working. A new way was and is needed to get out. And the good news is that being in the wilderness is actually a sign of hope. It means we just might be ready for change. We just might be ready to find that water source. We just might be ready to find home. The result of true repentance. Which is why this lection was paired with John the Baptist preparing the way and his message was repent. But the next part of making a highway for our God is is finding the building materials necessary. And I don't know much about making highways. Go figure. But I would assume that after the clearing away was done, and done well, that the building process is pretty much ready to happen and happen quickly. Just like after all the measurements are taken, the debris removed, the surveys done, demolition finished. If the materials are available, it doesn't take as long to put it back together. Sure was true of the Providence renovations. 
We build a highway for our God with the very four candles that are represented right here. Symbols of hope, peace, joy, and love. Which feel very abstract without the undergirding of the Holy Spirit. The way we build together has to be done in community. Where we celebrate with gratitude, where we see hope in our lives, where peace is taking place even though it didn't look like it, where joy is made possible, and where love is longing and made true. So this is the climax of building this highway, that God's glory will be seen, all of us together. And what does it mean that God's glory will be seen? Well, we don't have to go very far. The end of this passage tells us, Behold. In other words, see it. Look. The Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Because you know what? Providence. When we least expect it, when our deconstruction is taking too long, our building materials running low, our contractors are way behind or nowhere to be found, Guess what? God shows up. A way is made. For this is a God, it says, of might and power who can vanquish the fears that we are tired of holding on to. This is why we want our God to be powerful. We welcome a way made with might. We want God to put some royal butt on injustice and even the sin in our lives. We want God to move us to a more whole self. We want God's ruling arm to hold back that ashy white sky and let us feel life again. We need a powerful God, and God doesn't leave us alone to make our own highway. Thanks be to God. But I love the dialectic that the poet prophet uses. It's a strong God, a mighty God, for what purpose? For just when we think and see this image of a butt-kicking God doing demolition and blasting dynamite, we see another image of God as the shepherd tending to the flock, tending to these lambs and carefully holding them gently. This strong shepherd sees when the lambs are risked. This strong shepherd sees when these lambs are in the thicket of despair. This strong shepherd sees when the predator is on all sides. And like a loving parent, this strong shepherd picks up the lambs in his arms and carries them out of danger, makes a way, and holds them into the very safest place possible. In his bosom. The shepherd clutches these vulnerable lambs, holding them so close as to say, Nothing, nothing 
can rip you out of my arms. That's how close I have you to me. I image it like a mother who's in danger with a child and hiding that child within her or behind her and leaving only herself vulnerable to the attacker. Always giving herself up first to protect the child. This is the strong shepherd God we serve. And so this is our hope, our peace in the season of Advent. That even in the wilderness, do we have any wilderness wanderers in here? I'm, I'm just, I'm just wanting to know. Let me tell you something. It's like the sixth sense, sixth sense ending. Okay. In the very process of making this highway and seeing God in it, protecting us. We look up, we figure out the way is being made all the while. In fact, we don't see ashy white sky or empty trees. We see milk and honey. And guess what? To our greatest surprise, we realize all the while, they were the very 